Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Okay, so uh, it's great to have you here and uh, you know, I, I think this is a little bit like coming to a, a university lecture, isn't it? It feels a bit, <laughs> I don't know, but thank you for being here. Um, it, it's really interesting that um, when you come to do something like this, I know for me, I go through hours of agony because I'm thinking, well, number one, what do people want to hear? <laughs> How am I going to encourage people? But then also there's the other part, what do they need to hear? You know, what, what is something of revelation that will move people along? And then, of course, you go through all of that and you think, well, yeah, that sounds good, but do they need it anyway? And you, just, you can end up in a right, uh, right mess and... Um, so what I'm bringing is just the things that are on my heart, if that's okay. And uh, if you think, well, I don't need any of that, just think, well, either it... I remember Antoine saying to me that when people come, they either confirm what you already believe or they challenge you to think about something so you can either move on or you can say, no, I'm quite happy, thank you very much, I'm staying where I am. Now, the one thing I will say that I'm very glad at this place is that we have a group of people who really are interested in learning and figuring things out, moving on. And, and that's very commendable because a lot of people get to the place where they say, well, you know, why, why bother? Just stay at home and watch the telly. But so I'm really glad that, that you're here. Um, Anth has been talking about over the last few weeks um, about um, going beyond Jesus now, even to say that a few years ago would have been, wouldn't it really? Absolutely horrendous, the idea. But I hope you've grasped some of the deeper truth that's been said. We're actually not sort of abandoning Jesus, but we're actually wanting to put him in his correct place so that we understand our place and can truly uh, be what we are meant to be in the context of the whole of creation rather than in just one small part of it. Now, if I say some things tonight that Anne's already said, I'm sorry, but sometimes it's good, you know, just to recap. Um, but I think there might be a few things that are new. There are so many things that went through my mind and um, that means something to me and are a part of my journey. But then, like I said at the beginning, sometimes I think, well, that's my journey. You don't need to hear that. Um, but having said that, um, you know, there used to be a saying with the BBC that if one person complained about anything, it actually represented a thousand. So I have to believe that I at least represent one in here tonight and um, even if something that I say is not where you are but it might actually trigger something in you to move you on 
that's really what we're looking for because I know um, we want to be enlightened. I love that word enlightened and I know we've talked about it on a Sunday. You know, it was the word that was very much um, adopted by the Eastern religions and then of course the West said, no, that's got to be wrong. So we, we let go of such words. But actually it's an incredible word. I mean, I want to wake up every day and have an enlightenment in my day. I want to know something more. I want to be more. I want to um, not achieve more in the context of believing in an achievement-based idea of unless I achieve, then I'm in a mess. But you know what I mean? Be more in the sense of just being happy that I have been the, the best version of myself than I can possibly be. Does, does that make sense? So I hope you're not hearing that as about this sort of achievement mentality where we've got to somehow uh, do all sorts of things um, uh, to somehow be okay. But anyway, so I'm going to start uh, with just this that I read uh, the other day and I thought you just might find it interesting. This is about me. I had 80% blockage. No, not my arteries, but my humanity. Clogged humanity, that's what I had. The flow of life was shut down. Lots of plaque had built up from years of living a compliant and accommodating life of the expectation of others. I paid homage to the gods of the status quo and worshipped at the altar of the way things were supposed to be. It damn near killed me and I am grateful to be alive. I had to unshackle myself from toxic beliefs that had damaged my relationship with myself and life. It wasn't easy. I was taught for many years that I could not trust myself. Fear, that's what kept me in my place. I had to unshackle myself from the script and from the fear of being me. I started listening, honoring, following, and expressing what I knew and felt was real deep inside of me. I hope this is resonating with a few of you. Um, I had to develop a new set of tools, thinking for myself. Oh, that was tough, I'll tell you. Determining what truly mattered to me, speaking my truth, standing in my convictions, being genuine to myself, and becoming more courageous as a human being. Every day and every hour was a choice to live this way. I learned I could be caring and kind, but also not let people control me or even care what they think. I learned I could be both defiant and gracious, stout-hearted and tender, immovable and charitable. I opened up. Life started flowing. I was free at last. Now, I think that that is a, a wonderful expression of me. There must be some bits in there that you all relate to as well. But the reason why that blockage was there, and I say this regularly uh, when I speak, is because of a very small-minded religion and a structure that kept me very, very closed and um, you might say, well, we've talked about this a lot. Yes, we have. And we're going to keep going there because we've got to make sure that people 
are free. And uh, that's why I wanted to start with this. And uh, so I, I have got a picture that I'm going to give everybody. And maybe you know, somebody could give them round. And you will just find, some of you have seen this before, but have a look at this. Because this was my, uh, my picture of the, the, the uh, I don't know what you call it. It's just horrible, but, and, and I mean, anybody who's listening online at the end, I don't know whether we've got a picture on the screen or what, but it's actually, it's called a picture of, um, what was it called? I've even forgotten now. Oh, the broad and narrow way. And we used to have this in our church in Wilton Rise. And some of you have never seen it before. And if you haven't, I am so glad I am really glad, but it was, we had it in our church, it was framed in the most beautiful frame, and it was for us as people to seriously take notice of. And I know it's quite small, but you can see that there's a lot of um, verses, at every point of it, there are verses, uh, scriptures, which basically reinforce, right, and so it is, it's horrible, right? And even if you just take it on very first value, and we could just have a really good natter about this tonight, I mean, rather than me saying any more. It's, it's fun, isn't it? Now, but it used to terrify me because if you see that right at the beginning, there's this death and damnation uh, arrow going one way, life and salvation going the other way. One, if you look up that side, you've got the, the, you know, hell at the top. And I don't know what, for the life of me, was appealing about the other way. But somehow, you know, it, it was appealing. It was supposed to be appealing. I think it looks like the mo most boring, horrendous journey ever. But that was called the narrow way. And the other was the broad way. And uh, I've given you this just for fun, and I hope it doesn't upset anybody. I'm not trying to be unkind, but I want you to understand what we have come away from. This is what we have desperately fought to come away from, and we're very proud of it, and um, we are glad that we've gone the way we have. Now, it's even funny as well, if you look right at the top, have you seen the all-seeing eye? Now, it's funny, if you, if you show that um, in other situations, it's classed as the, the Freemasons or the Illuminati or all that sort of stuff. But somehow it's up there, you know, it's really weird, this stuff. And um, there's some awful things on there, but, but let me just look at this for a minute. You know, the ballroom, the theatre, uh, playing cards around a table, dancing. Um, it's just really, really quite sad. But basically, oh, the lottery. Oh, the lottery's up there as well. And um, basically, that road took you basically to destruction. And this other road, like I've already said. Um, now, we're going we're gonna to talk about this a bit later on, but I want, wanted you just to have a look at it for a minute. Aren't you glad that we've got rid of this? Yeah. Now, the reason we have done this is because sometimes... The good news that we are offering here, nobody seems to get excited about. We've forgotten the bad. And I've done this for this reason. If any place should be full of joy, it should be here. Because we've got rid of that awful news that this is what the gospel was about. We've got rid of it. 
You might say, oh, yeah, but I've been left a little bit uncertain about really what it is. All I can tell you in the uncertainty, it certainly isn't this. The news is better, I promise it's better. And so I want you to, when you're coming into this place, for whatever reason you come, whether it's to learn a bit more about the Bible or whatever, I would like you to at least think I'm going to somewhere that is going to encourage me in the goodness, the goodness of the good news, not in a, in a negative one. So the reason why I wanted to show you that is because basically what is there just as you go through that little gate to the right-hand side, yeah, the right-hand side of the picture, it's called, the, it's, that's the narrow gate. <laughs> and um, just through there, of course, you've got the cross because that's where it all starts. And that's why I started at the beginning saying, Anybody who thinks that we're somehow undermining Jesus, we're not. Jesus still has a very important place. However, what we've been trying to get over to, to us, if we get stuck at Jesus, then there isn't a lot of fun because it's all about purely keeping us very much contained. If you remember last week, Anne said that we end up just thanking Jesus Thank you, you're kind, aren't you? Isn't he good to me? Uh, we end up thanking Jesus all the time, and out we become this uh, constant, we worship, and it's all about that, rather than thinking Jesus about what was it that he brought us into, which releases us. So for me, and I remember many years ago, I said, I think God looks down and wishes the world was the church and the church was the world. And I know that that was a moment in my journey that was a, a moment of enlightenment because I knew that what the church had become with all its policing, with all its thou shalt not and everything was not the rep representation of the abundant life that Jesus had died to give us. Are you, are you with me? And so very much, I feel that this is totally the wrong way around. Um, it should be, well, let's just tear it all up. It, it's, it's wrong in all, it's, you know, everything. But when you go through that gate, which is the narrow gate, you do have the cross there. And we're not in any way, and I don't want anybody to feel that we are undermining the cross. But what we've understood that there has to be something that's bigger. And we've realized that what is bigger is the Christ, which Jesus was the Christ, but Jesus wasn't just the Christ. And, and Anne's taking us through, and if you need to recap, we, we, we can, uh, you can go back online and have a look. But the point is this, that what Christ is, is the raw material out of which everything has been created. It was with God in the beginning, and basically, without the Christ, nothing uh, ex exists. So, what we're really having to understand about the, the universal Christ is that basically Jesus was the personification of Christ and that lit up everything. He shone a light on everything. And we, by that light, can then begin to recognize God in all things. But you see, the thing is, if you look at back at the picture, when we came to the cross of Jesus... Have you noticed how you're not seeing God in all things? Because all of a sudden you've gone down a very narrow road where you're not seeing anything other than 
very much a blinkered understanding. And I know for a fact that I wasn't even allowed to have non-Christian school friends. I, I couldn't bring anybody into my house. I mean, I know Heather probably has a, a memory of that. But I couldn't have non-Christian school friends to play with because of the influence that they would have on me and all of that. So what you realize that instead of seeing God in everything, you actually saw God in no one. And I know that you might say, oh, yes, but we did. We saw him in the church. No, we didn't. Because what it does, when you're not seeing God in, in everything, you actually see him in nothing. And that's hard to grasp, but we actually saw him in nothing. And so you actually begin to weave and be so insular that you start, even in the group that is supposed to have been to the cross and found Jesus, you don't even see God in those people because they're not good enough then. And it's what, you know, you you see what I'm saying? So anyway, what we've understood is that uh, the universal Christ then, this understanding, is an experience and it's not a belief system. And it's, it's something that that allows you to see beyond rather than seeing very narrow. And um, I love the fact that Anth talked about it. It's not tribal to some, but it's always to all. Now, what happens with Jesus is you get a very small group all gathering to a very small understanding. But what the Christ does allows, it allows you to look beyond bigger and everything becomes Wow, this is amazing. We don't have to be in the same group or going up the same road to actually have the Christ in us. Are are you following what I'm saying? So it opens up of everything. So we discover and celebrate the sacred at the heart of everything. We've talked about that on a Sunday. So I really find it interesting that the word sacred and the word scared... (laughs) Is spelt the same. Now, I know things like that seem very, very twee, but it, it matters to me things like that because you will either be scared of what this teaching of the universal Christ in all things does, or you'll actually see everything as sacred. And that is amazing, and it makes you smile. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, see, on this picture you've got always a win-lose situation. The old, very small-minded narrative is that a few get there rather than everybody getting there. And so it's very important. So um, growing up is a very important thing. And um, I know it took me a long time to grow up. And uh, I am very honored that people have been willing to allow me that space because um, it's amazing how many people want you to have got it right right at the beginning and then you you know if if you've not got it right well we can't trust you anymore but in fact the truth is all of us if you look back at your life you would have to be honest and say there are things you have changed your mind about and I'm not just talking about theology or or, 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 you know, in the sense of a, a, of a deep understanding. But in many things you've changed your mind about. And you, you might say, well, I did this then, but I'm doing this now. And you don't, you don't expect somebody to say, well, I can't trust you anymore. You have to you say, I've grown. And, you know, 
many times I think that what has happened over the years is that we have become uh, like lots of other religions have, Christianity itself, and I don't like the word Christianity anymore. I would prefer to say what was was Jesusianity, but it real Christianity, you think, yeah, that's great. But you see, we lost that somewhere along the line. Um, but when you really grow up, you actually begin to say, actually, I can see where the, all this sort of went wrong. And uh, we can now actually, you know, bring it uh, into some sort of win-win situation rather than a win-lose situation. So the word evolving ah, was always a word that I was told, can't use. You know, the word evolution was almost a dirty word because it somehow said science and Christians always felt that, that science was an enemy. Isn't that true, though? It is a fact. Rather than actually saying, okay, what is it that is evolving that we can see and connect with? And you actually find that just like a lot of the words that have been stolen from us, <laughs> and I'm not doing an us and them, but you'll see what I mean, is actually they're our, our words. The, the word evolve is, is that incredible because it's like when you put a seed into a pot of soil, you can use the word evolve straight away. That seed will evolve. You won't see the, the journey it goes for quite a few weeks, maybe it's three weeks or so, but then you'll see something and is that how it is? When, is, is that the finished product? No, it's going to evolve even more and evolve even more until ultimately it becomes what it's going to become and it produces fruit. And uh, I, I love what um, the, the, the guy N.T. writes. Some of you might have heard of him and some of his writings. But he talks about this. He says, why would we not expect that evolution would be the story of God? Because he is all about, in the New Testament, he's all about seeds. He's all about harvest. He's all about things growing and becoming and getting better. And, you know, so don't get me wrong. I'm not just going with, you know, saying, oh, well, everything goes. But we've got to be careful that we just don't throw out stuff because of the tribalistic way that we can be. And we can. We can be incredibly tribalistic. So... Even Jesus, and I brought this wonderfully, uh, was an, an evolving, a, a manifestation of the Christ because God was continuing to evolve the story as it went along, which I think that's incredibly encouraging. Now, one thing that, that I didn't say, he talked about creation being part of the incarnation, and he talked about the cross and, and Jesus being part of that incarnation. But the next incarnation when he, was when it says that he would pour his spirit on all flesh. So you've got the next incarnation is who? Oh, well, I want you to go more than just us. I want you to say all flesh. But you see, what has happened is we said, oh, just some. And it, see, again, we bring it back to tribal. But it's actually all flesh. But can we accept that? Because we look at people that we don't understand and we look at people who are doing stuff that we hate. Can we believe that the spirit of God, the incarnation, the Christ, is in all flesh? Whoa, 
See, we immediately, it's tough. But this is what we're being encouraged to understand. So this is what I want to bring you to a little bit tonight, is this, that I've mentioned this before. Back in 1000 AD, uh, there was a split, east and west. And I like to look at it like this now, and uh, it's, you've got two lungs in your body, and you breathe from two lungs. And if you think about it, splitting east and west meant that the east had one lung, and the west had the other. So we've been breathing on one lung. And you might think, oh, well, we've, we've been all right, have we? Anybody who would be with one lung, they'd be needing some help. Isn't that right? Just, I'm just trying to give you pictures. So Christianity had one lung in the West, and what you call the Eastern religions had the other lung in, in the East. And uh, what was interesting about it is that the Christianity, which we would think, yeah, this is brilliant, but that one lung, in essence, became Jesus, where we got stuck with Jesus, who was purely a saviour, somebody who dealt with our sin issue, and that's where we had to stay very much dependent. Are you, are you with me? In the East, they never had what was called original sin issues. They just understood that, in essence, that the whole world somehow was anointed by this Christos, this Christ, lots of different names, and I'm not going to bore you with them, lots of different names, but it was for everybody, it was just what was. But somehow we got stuck with that and we were breathing on one lung. Does, that, does this make sense? Okay. And we need, like Anne said, we, need, we needed basically somebody to help us with, with our stuff. But we got stuck there. And why did we think about it? In the West, God wasn't somebody who we actually liked very much. Now think about this. We didn't like him very much because he was this picture of this very austere, very cruel. He needs blood. He kills his son, that sort of thing. So Jesus becomes somebody who we can quite like because we can relate to this, but God is, is, is cruel, etc. So we got stuck at Jesus and then we struggled to move on to get to know the Christ. Okay. Now, I find that for me, over these last few years, uh, where I have gone is that I have found that I can really relate to this bigger picture. It's like it's done something to me. It switched my light back on. I'm absolutely thrilled with it because it's not suffocating. It's not small. It's not, it's not exclusive. It's, it's bigger. But then there's a lot of people who find that they need that personal thing because personal is very intimate. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a phrase that is often used nowadays that, uh, well, it's the Jesus is my boyfriend type of experience because it's, you know, he's mine. He's just, he's just mine. But you know what that's like? Think about it. When you have that sort of personal relationship with somebody, it's not long before there's a gooseberry and there's not long before you feel jealous of somebody else 
getting more um, out of it than you are? And why is this person seeming more blessed than I am or having more than I am? Because it's to do with, sorry, it's competitive. Thanks, Jenny, it is. It becomes, because as a personal thing, which sounds great, it is actually very, very stifling and, and it becomes small. Now, I believe that where it goes wrong is because we made Jesus more than a door. And this came to me this week and I thought this is brilliant. That, that there's a scripture that says, I am the door. And I don't know whether we've got it to come up on, on the screen in, in a bit. No, it doesn't matter, Danny, don't worry about it. But it's, it's, it's I am the door that if you enter by me, you'll go in and out and find pastures. Now, going back into this picture, it wasn't a going in and out thing. You went through the door. That was the journey you were going, and that was it. It didn't matter where, you know, anything else. You were going up there. But you see, that scripture says this. I am the door. If anybody enters through me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, I don't know about you. I I don't see a lot of pasture up that rocky road. Not a lot of pasture at all. Um, so what we have to do is get from just the, the, the personal to the universal. Whereas, yes, I can have a, an encounter with Jesus, but it's only the door to something much bigger. And, and that's why I said at the beginning, there should be so much joy with this as opposed to, uh, you know, somber, oh, well, where's all the victory in this? Because that's sometimes what can happen. So while it's nice to have a connecting point, it can also be very um, narrow. And that's why, that, if you can go back to that other one, Danny, about the narrow, uh, and I'll hopefully get to this bit. In a, I don't know where I am in my notes. I never do, actually. So there you go. Um, it was about, is it about the narrow way? Yeah, we'll get, get back to that in a minute. But you see, the thing is, what happens when things are tribal and when things are small and things are intimate, it actually doesn't create very loving people because what they do, they hold on to things tightly and they're not very good at sharing. And I thought, yeah, that's the key. We haven't been very sharing, have we? It's like you're either in or you're out rather than it being about sharing something and say, it's as much yours as it is, is mine. So, if we don't discover the Christ, we remain a very more, a small tribe, a very prejudicial people, because we're always deciding who's in, who's out, whether people are, are living up to the requirements or whatnot. So, anyway, so it's an experience. Now, uh, as I said at the beginning, I've always struggled with that because... Um, I know I was brought up to believe that very much there was a set understanding of how things were. You experienced it in a particular way, and that was it. I don't think we ever really asked a person what was going on in their head. It was, have you said the prayer? Have you done this? Have you done that? You know, have you been baptized? Have you been spoken in tongues? It wasn't, what, what are you feeling? What is it doing for you? And what I've learned so much... Um, is that my language is very different to Anth's language. We talk for hours at home and, you know, about, about this stuff. 
And um, what I need for me is very different than what he needs for him. How we understand words is very different than how I understand words. And I recognize that if we believe that one size fits all, we are stupid. And that's what the church has tended to do. So it said, this is what you need. This is what you've got to have. This is what you've got to believe. This is what you've got to do. And there are some people going, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't understand. Now, some do, and that's absolutely wonderful. Because depending where you are on your journey, if you're feeling incredibly guilty at, at some point, and you are told that somebody has done something to take away that guilt, you're in. Yeah, have you, have you got me? That's going to work beautifully. But what about somebody who doesn't have any guilt and doesn't feel that there's a problem? If we say, oh, well, you know, this, this, is, the, this is the narrative, they'll go, well, I don't need it then. And then we're wondering why people don't find the church accessible. It's not to do with, our, with people. But our people are the best people in the world. And I'll tell you, I have been into churches many week in, week out, and not one person has spoken to me in the United States. And I mean that, and I don't say that with any unkindness, but it is the truth. I never see that going on in this place. We're friendly, we're kind, we're loving. So it's not to do with community that we potentially could fail at. It's to do with what is the product that a person comes in hoping to find. And we think it's just one thing. No, it's not. Everybody is looking for something different. Now, I do believe that everybody is looking for unconditional love unconditional love, where whatever I am, whatever I do, whatever my wounds, whatever my backstory, that basically people would be here for me. But how that plays out is, is a very, very different thing. So anyway, I might have gone off on a bit of a, a, a wild goose chase there, but all I'm trying to say is that I had to learn to trust my experience, my heart, what I was thinking. And even if I didn't agree with me, I had to think, well, that doesn't mean I'm wrong. It means that God is speaking to me. And I don't need for anybody else to agree that I'm right. Now, are there some things, you know, if I was to say that, you know, the, the moon was made of cheese, and I'd hope that somebody would put me right, because I think there are things that like that need, need correcting. But then I could say, well, prove it. <laughs> it's not made of cheese. You know what I'm saying? So what I mean is that there are things that are not provable, provable that we shouldn't let others tell us that we are wrong in what we've experienced, providing that it's pushing us towards light and towards love, towards life, towards peace and it might look differently to a group or to others but that doesn't mean that it's wrong so I hope that that, that made sense I know that was a bit of a, a, a splurge you see there's a blind man um, talked about in, in John 9 and he says something which is amazing and we've used it many times over the years and he says all I know is that once I was blind but now I see. And of course, all the people around, the great theologians, all the Pharisees, are wanting to know how it had happened, 
what, it, what is it that is, you know, how did it work and who did it and this, that. And he says, all I know, all I know is once I was blind. Now, I want to just say that right now. All I know, all I know is once I was blind, but now I see, but then you, somebody could say, well, what do you mean by blind? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, and, and you have to, ex I can try, but I can say this, that my eyes were opened to see a bigger picture, a bigger story, a wider inclusion, a better ending, better news. And you think, yes, but if it's not better news, surely that's not enlightenment. Well, I have enough in my heart to know that all of this, everything that we're involved in, and I'm not just talking about Q, I'm talking about the world, it has to have been originated by love. It has to have been. It has to have been. Think about it. And I mean, Danny and I was talking the other day about when, you know, you, you, you would say that when you produce a child, you say it's, it's born of love, right? Because that's, you know, it's very romantic. Well, you know, because some, sometimes it's not so much born of love. It just happened. But, you know, you say it's born of love. Well, think about it in the context of the world. We were all born out of love, out of a, the, 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 the union of the creator, the son, the spirit, however you want to call it, but their union produced by love all of this. And we have to then believe that the core and the, uh, the intent is always love. So therefore, trust that love that's, that's um, luring you. Is that a good word? Luring, lured by love. So I'm seeing the blind man. All I know is that once I was blind, but now I see. Because Jesus makes it uh, quite clear in that, that he says that some of you who claim to see are actually blind. Now, why did he say that? And he said it to those who were actually very clever, who knew the scripture, who knew so much about the Bible, but he actually said, nah, you're blind. This guy, he's the one who, who really can see because he's actually allowed himself to go that journey. So what I can say is all my doubts, all my don't knows, I would actually say that makes me at least qualify to not be blind. How's that? Because sometimes you feel really weird when you think, well, I don't know anymore. That means you can see. Well, you think, no, that's not true. Yes, it means that if you're willing to say that I'm not really certain about all of this, Jesus said they're the people who can see, but those who claim they can see are blind. Is this making sense? Okay. So we have... Um, a picture of um, a, a couple of people, which is quite interesting. We've got Paul who never met uh, Jesus personally, but he met the Christ on, on, on the road to Damascus. That's absolutely incredible. He had this encounter with something beyond. But then you've got Mary Magdalene who knew Jesus very, very deeply, and she was one of the first to um, speak of Jesus' resurrection. Why? Because she was just gutted. 
She loved Jesus so much as a being, as a person, that, of course, she was round the, the tomb crying her eyes out and really upset. Um, but they, they made very different journeys. One understood the personal Jesus and made a journey to the resurrected Christ and beyond. And it said that she was potentially one of Jesus' first uh, apostles and disciples. Now, in a very patriarchal world, you're not going to push that piece of information very much. But actually, she was a umdinger of a woman who had such an understanding of the Christ in her own being. But she went from knowing Jesus personally through it and, and embraced the understanding of the Christ in his resurrection. Then Paul, he only understood the Christ in his resurrection and had to make the journey back to associate it with Jesus. So the point is this, it doesn't matter which way you go. Now, the reason why I say this is because we were told very, oh, wasn't it drummed into us that, you know, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But the issue is that you've got Paul coming backwards to Jesus in that sense from the Christ. And you've got Mary from Jesus going to see the Christ. And it doesn't matter what journey we take. Because you see, the thing is, the Father is where we're wanting to get. Now, Father's a, a word that, again, it's a, one of those words that we have used in, in, in you know, this environment, but it can be a bit understand. How if we called it, you know, the source of all being, or if we called it the, um, um, oh, what was the other word I was going to use? Can anybody help me? Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh, reality. Just the reality itself. If we said no one comes to reality, or full reality except through this door, because it's not that we're staying at the door, but we're coming into something, you see, not just staying there, but it doesn't matter which way we go as long as we get through into the, the, the bigger place. So anyway, I was told it was impossible. And this, this is why I gave you this picture at the beginning, because this has been very much the narrow perspective for a very, very long time, and very much our emphasis was on what we, what we believe. Now, the scripture that goes with this, and it's actually on the, the, the picture there, it's this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. Good news, eh? Isn't it happy? Isn't it great? But you see, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with that. And um, that is two verses in the middle of a big exchange with, with Jesus. But isn't it interesting that those two verses became the go-to verses for salvation for people? And again, this is why I wanted to say, smile, you know, be happy. Because we've actually said, no, my God isn't that small. You know, my Jesus isn't that small. The Jesus that became Christ isn't that small. 
the body of Christ, which we are the body and he is the head, isn't that small? Two verses. And uh, what's very interesting is that when it says that narrow is the gate, you know, uh, for gate, it, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Why did we believe that destruction was hell? Why does it say everlasting flames, uh, torment forever and ever, you know, eternal conscious torment? Does it say that in that verse? No, it doesn't. But we have added that. Christianity added it on. Um, And then, of course, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. Why did we believe life was this place? Oh, and I mean, look at it. Do you want to go? I mean, I certainly don't. This place, I mean, there's a big sort of, I think it's the golden calf sat on a rock anyway. I don't want to go. It, it looks too much like the Mormon tabernacle for me anyway. I don't really want to go. So that's okay. But are you following what I'm saying? We, we have made doctrines out of little verses and we have put meaning into them that just isn't there. So if we interpret it properly, if you go back to the verse before, and I know you haven't done it, Danny, so it doesn't matter, but I don't want you to do it. Verse 12, which is before verse 13, it says this, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. What is that? That's the golden rule. We've said that, haven't we? That is what's said in verse 12. And then it says, for this is the law and the prophets. There you go. It's talking their language, the people there. Then we have verse 13 and 14, and it says, the narrow gate, right? How about if we just said this? It's the road less traveled. Why? Because treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Is that the road less traveled? I'm just trying to be simple. Is that the road less traveled? Absolutely. So if you follow the golden rule, you have gone through the narrow gate. And come on, be honest. We've even talked about it with each other this week. How hard is it to treat others (laughs) when they've been absolutely horrible? I'll tell you, I can go off, off that narrow road right quick and say, I'm going Broadway. I'm off here because I've had enough. Come on, let's be real, people. We, it's easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy. So the narrow gate is the road less travel, following the golden rule. The selfless, which is the way of Jesus when he, when he was on the cross, and that's why correctly it's through that narrow gate, because it's this selfless giving of himself, which was really that emptying of himself of everything that he could have said, you're all wrong, you're doing this against me when I don't deserve it. You, you know what I'm saying. But he didn't. He, 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 he took it for the sake of love. Anyway, just to go on to this. Um, but it leads to life, not, quote, heaven. Why does it lead to life? Because life is about that which it gives to you when you no longer harbor that most incredible resentment towards one another. It leads to life. What happens when we don't? It leads to destruction. Is that hell? No, it's just I am destroyed in my being until I get rid of all this. Am I, am I, am I scratching where it itches? So the Broadway is the road 
more travelled, where people are obsessed with themselves rather than selfless, which leads to destruction, but not hell. So here we go. Why is it that we have the focus on Jesus's last probably three days of his life than the rest of his 30 odd years? Isn't it interesting? We have made everything about that small time. And I know Anth talked about that uh, a little bit in um, some of his other sessions. And it's because, you know, I told you about the split, the lung, the breathing lung in Western Christianity was so obsessed with original sin that it, it had to focus on what it believed was the answer to the problem, rather than it being an example of how everybody should live in order for the whole cosmos to be restored, right? Because if you've got self-giving love, it will have a knock-on effect. Whereas if you're obviously living for yourself, it, it, it isn't. So we lost sight of this. Spirituality is based on original blessing and sonship, whereas what Christianity became was based on original sin. And I love this phrase. I don't know the guy who, who said this, um, but it was in, in a book uh, that I, I picked up, and it was this. In worshiping Jesus, men lost the Christ. In devotion to Jesus, men failed to apprehend the Christ. And in seeking good through Jesus, Men fail to find the omnipresent Christ in their own self. Isn't that just amazing? Because we got stuck. We stopped because we were so obsessed with original sin rather than original blessing. So Jesus was God materializing in the flesh, came to get us back on track to show us where, what we'd lost sight of and what I like at least about the picture is the first thing you see is this selfless giving of himself as the example of how we live however it shouldn't be just on this little narrow road it should be in the middle of welcome if you think about it where should it be it should be in the in the middle of welcome all there at the top gone and it doesn't matter what's going on either side because have you noticed this is this is what annoys me as well up that road, well, I mean, I don't know whether you can see it because it's quite small. There's a poor person hanging themselves out of the window of the gambling house. And it's a very sad sight, that. And there's all sorts of things. There's holdups, somebody's getting shot further up and somebody's getting robbed and there's, there's some awful things. But have you noticed how it suggests that nothing like that goes on up this other side? It is not... True, because life is life, but the cross should be in the middle that actually covers it all. But instead we said, oh no, it only covers this rather than it covers all. So if I was to redraw this, it would be literally right in the middle of the welcome and it would be saying, come one and all, come and make your journey, good, bad, indifferent, whatever you you're into or whatever you, your issues are, because remember we've talked about our issues of our wounds from the past. And remember, wounds are always what we feel 
when we've had those wounds, we feel there are things we have to do to compensate for that. And we've given it the name sin. But in fact, it's just the fact of, of having to find a way of compensating for that which we've lost sight on. So anyway, let's just, we've talked about Jesus is the door. We've talked about we'll go in and out and find pasture. Uh, I love the idea of just Jesus is the door. He's the door. But when you get through that door, it's not a narrow little, I mean, there's a lion up there. You're about to be mauled by a lion up there. I'll have you know. Did you know that? Just have a look. It's all a bit too sad for me, that. So here's the thing. For me, and I'm going to tell you what happened, what's happened to me. Accepting the Christ as universal made Jesus more personal for me. That's the way around it's gone for me. Accepting the Christ as universal made Jesus more uh, personal for me. What could be more deeply personal than understanding a divinity which is so intimately in all things being the very ground of my being? Now, Anthony and I argue about this. He wants a more personal thing, and that's absolutely fine. I want a more universal thing. That's how I explain it. It took me ages to, <laughs> to write that down. But for me to accept the Christ as universal, as a bigger picture, I didn't get lost. I got found. It was like, this is brilliant. It includes me. It's absolutely fantastic. Because I understand that him being in all things and what creates all things is also the ground of my very existence. And I think, well, that's awesome. Right. The I am is connected to my humanity in every detail and at the same time is connected with everybody else's, which is just quite powerful. So why do we struggle with this? Well, I think it's because we feel that, again, there's not enough of God to go around. Not enough of God to go around. And I've already mentioned about Jesus being my personal boyfriend. <laughs> no, he's not. Um, because we think, well, that's just for me. And then, of course, there's a competitiveness about it. And we also need to exclude others. Um, okay, so just moving on, just one, one thing. We have moved on. And like I said at the beginning, it's, it's been a, a, a weird journey. But I want to just give you something that might give you a little bit of hope if you're feeling a bit confused. When Paul basically got converted on the road to Damascus, we look at it as though he was converted from nothing, no religious background, no understanding, and suddenly got saved. He, he knew Jesus, and that was the end of it. But in fact, that is not the truth. He was a Pharisee, an incredibly religious person. And so basically what happened when he'd had the encounter with the Christ, he went from being very tribal and, and, and um, excluding people to suddenly being very always to all, very inclusive. Why? Because he didn't change from being a, a Jew, because it says he, right through he was a Jew. But he went from being a Pharisaical Jew to be a Christian Jew or a Christ-following Jew. Now, if that helps a little bit, because we can all, all say, oh, well, you know, that, that's, that's sort of no big deal. What we've done is, is almost, you know, thrown everything out. To the people around, they would have said of Paul, 
You're backslidden, basically. Now, that's the word we haven't used in a long time, isn't it? Backslidden. They would have said, now, you can't truly be right with God because you've stopped believing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Circumcision is a perfect one in, in, in one of the, the books. They're all getting mad at him. Well, why are you making all these people be circumcised? If they're not circumcised, they're not in. And he had to say, because everybody's in, you see? Oh, are you a universalist? See, that's what would be said now, and that's what goes on with us. Oh, are you a universalist? Are you saying that everybody's in? And we are, we are saying, well, Paul said the word. But if Paul sort of, oh, well, no, that's not really what he's, but he was. He was saying, no, I've met the Christ, and what the Christ has done in me, he's made me totally, uh, I wish I had the word for it, because I keep wanting to say sort of exclusive, but that's not right. What word? All-inclusive, that's what I need to say. He became all-inclusive, and that was his message that uh, he took. So basically, he went from being a Pharisaical Jew to being a Christian Jew, very much like we have gone from being stuck in a very narrow-minded, original sin, fear-based, come to the cross, just through the narrow gate, where we just might get mauled by a lion, you know, further up the road, to this all-inclusive, incredible Christianity, which is absolutely amazing. It's a bit like us saying now that, you know, if, if, if Paul said there was, you didn't have to be circumcised, it's a bit like us saying there is no hell. That's how serious it was. So here's the question, here's a question. Why did Jesus have to go away? And uh, it's interesting that I think that he wanted us to meet the Christ. Because if Jesus had stuck around, you'd have just got like everything else becomes. You get an icon, and we have had an icon. You get stuck rather than going beyond into the recognition that the Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And we've still got to come to it more of an understanding of that in, in how we operate and, and what we believe about that and what we experience of that. But here's the thing that, that I just thought was good to, to say. If, if I don't go, you will continue to worship me, depend on me, call on me, look to the exterior me, I must go so you will turn within to the light which you all carry, which is the Christ um, if, if I don't go away, people will not know the Holy Spirit within. Um, if he did not go, then people would always seek an external God to overpower the illusion of external suggestion. If he did not go, we would not have known the one power of God within us. We would not know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so I just want you to understand that this is the unique selling point of Christianity and why it should be, there should be so much joy because it is the understanding that what happens with Jesus the man then becoming the Christ is matter and spirit coming together and that's exactly what we are and that is us living out Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we struggle with it but I want to do something right at the end now. Anne said a few weeks ago, he says, we are 
what we eat. And he talks about the communion and how there is this incredible power in it. And um, see, again, it's to do with the one lung. And I hope you've got this idea. Breathing from one lung, we rejected christening of babies. Why did we do that? We said we don't christen babies because they have to grow up to an age where they believe for themselves and they make a decision to follow Christ. Here's the miracle of christening. Think it, think it. Christ and Christ soaks, Christ dipped, whatever, whatever. It's saying while they cannot do anything for themselves, we are putting a mark on them to say that they're already in. What did we do? Oh no, the one lung that was breathing. Oh no, you can't do that because they need to what? They need to have a personal relationship rather than it was universal. I, I, I hope I've got this across. I don't feel I've done so good tonight. But anyway, so here's the thing. That was the christening. Well, the other thing was in the Catholic church, what happened when a little belly's rung with the bread and the wine? Come on, tell me. Transubstantiation. It literally means that at that point it became the real body and blood of Christ. That's what they believed. It, when a bell rings, it becomes it. So when you take it, you are actually taking it in yourself. Now, do people believe that? I don't know. Here's the point. It's probably more true. And we, we used to say, oh, well, actually... It's not, uh, the symbol is actually more powerful than the reality. I'm actually now thinking, hang on a minute, we've got some stuff stolen off us and maybe we haven't made as much to say, okay. Jesus said, take and eat. He didn't say, look at it, worship it, hold it up as some sacred uh, thing. What do you call those things? Relic and keep it in a cupboard, let it go dry and, you know, keep, Mem having a memory of it. It said, no, eat it. Oh. Eat it. Why? Let it get inside of you and let it represent the Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I just want to end with this and then we're going to take communion and I want you, again, this is difficult because we've had things knocked out of us to say, oh no, you can't be this, you can't be that. I want you to think and actually say to myself, I am taking this as if I was taking into myself the body and the blood of Christ. And boy, is that going to make a difference to me. Who wants it to be different tomorrow than it's been today? I don't know. If you don't need it, that's fine. But I know I want to live differently. I want to live a more Christ-like way rather than just being stuck through the doorway of the narrow gate. I want to have Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I'll just say this last thing. It's not a battle to be won. It isn't a battle over sin. It's not a battle over... The, the, the struggles and all this broad way up here, but it's a consciousness to be found. There's, a, there's a, a lot to be said for being conscious, aware, awake to the Christ and what that means 
for us and we can say absolutely goodbye to this sort of rubbish and smile that that's what we've been set free into. So, and do you want to come and just do this or do you want me just to hand it round or give somebody to... And I would love you for a moment just to think, whoa, this is amazing. Have, a, have an experience. Remember what I said earlier on that we get to the point that it's all about what we understand and know rather than saying, all I know is once I was blind, but now I see. And I'm going to take this and I'm going to say, all I know is that Jesus said, take, eat. I'm going to eat and I'm going to let it get into the inside of me and I'm going to feel the Christ as part of my being. So I'm coming. That was some, some good stuff. Um, if somebody want to pass out, if you want to pass out the bread and the wine for me, that would be great. So anybody, Pete? Thanks, Jen. Just, just hold on to it. Um, for now, does somebody want to pass this around as well? I'm presuming the pale is the juice and the dark is the wine. So if you don't like the wine, the pale, pale one is the juice. The red one is the wine. Can I just say a, a couple of things? Um, we robbed ourselves of many things because of our own tribalism. Um, I'm very grateful for my Pentecostal heritage. I think there, were, there was a lot of excellent stuff imparted to me, but nevertheless, we were still tribal, and because of our tribal attitude, we robbed ourselves of many things. Um, I'm, I'm probably at the place now where I actually agree very much with infant baptism and confirmation. Um, for this simple reason that, that where I've come in my journey, I can see no greater declaration of the reality of grace than holding a baby and declaring over them the truth of the grace of God, which says that baby can do absolutely nothing. It can't even put two words together. It can't put one word together. It can't even think cognitively, and it cannot do anything physically but we're declaring that grace gives to that person when that, per that, that infant can do absolutely nothing. And I know, you know, we can still have come in our history to a point of salvation where we actually are resting in what it is that we did more than what it is that Christ did. Oh, how, how will you say, well, I asked, Je I asked Jesus into my heart. That's that. The focus is on what I did, not what he has done. And then, of course, the issue of, of when, these, when these traditions are taken correctly, the whole idea that then one has the opportunity to confirm that which was already theirs through no effort of their own, as a child, and they're saying, I confirm the truth that has been put in me so that I might begin to, from a point of embracing, live out that truth that is within me. So, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of things that bubbling around in my 
head and spirit about, about um, things that we have maybe, from a very sincere perspective, we have, we have um, probably taken too far away from, from where we should have been, which is, um, which is a little bit sad. You know, another thing that we did, again, I'm not trying to extend this, is um, the idea in Christendom of, of the inerrancy of the Bible is not as old as you think it is. You know, it, it, it really doesn't go back that far, the idea of the inerrancy of Scripture. You understand what that means, that, that Scripture is without any errors. It's, and, and I understand, again, the spirit of that. But when, when the Protestant world decided we would declare that the Scriptures were inerrant, the Catholic response was, then we declare that the Pope is infallible. So we had an infallible Pope and an inherent scripture, which what it actually was showing was this huge bun fight between Catholic and Protestant, pre-Reformation, post-Reformation, that was all nonsensical because we were all trying to get one over the other in, in somehow declaring that our way of seeing things was superior and somehow in all of that, the Christ gets lost. And so I was thinking as we, you know, just got the, the bread and the wine, it's interesting that in my heritage, all the focus was on Jesus, the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, how much Jesus loved me, and, and rightly so, and I have no problem with that, it was wonderful. In, in the more orthodox traditions within, for example, Anglicanism or Roman Catholicism, I found it fascinating thinking about this, that when they offer the communion, they offer the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. We didn't in our Pentecostal heritage. We, we were scared of that somehow. We were scared of the Catholics, we were scared of the Anglicans, so we didn't even have communion, we had breaking of bread because we wouldn't want to be associated with what it is that they're doing, because they haven't really got it right. And actually, you shouldn't really be taking it unless you've really accepted Jesus in the right way. And if you haven't accepted Jesus in the right way, even in our tribe, you shouldn't be taking the bread and wine. So we made it a thing of... of, of, of it, was, it was intimidating. It was, it was, it was also prideful, because oh, if I can take it, I'll qualify I'm worthy of the body and the blood of the Lord. That became a prideful thing, not a grace thing. So the idea of offering to all the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, I think is immense. I think it's powerful. And as I shared with you last week, and I'll say this the last thing as we, as we receive this. When Jesus said, eat my body and drink my blood, before, it even, before his crucifixion, so actually, in, some, in many ways, it had nothing to do with the crucifixion and everything to do with the crucifixion, but, it, but it, it superseded the crucifixion and it preceded the crucifixion because, as I said to you last week, he was, he was focusing in on the countercultural concept that for all of time, all people ever knew is that the gods want to eat your flesh the God wants to eat your sacrifice. The God wants to drink your blood. So through every religion throughout all of time, we were offering God flesh to symbolize our flesh, blood to symbolize our blood, grain to symbolize our life. And along comes Jesus and said, all this time, 
All you've thought is that the gods want to eat your flesh and drink your blood. He said, but I'm coming to tell you this God wants you to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. How powerful is that? And that's where the anamnesis, that bringing into the present comes. That As we take it, we have to say, the Catholics were trying to hit this. Somebody back there was thinking, there's more to this about his flesh and his blood than just, than just mere symbolism. But then, of course, you know, the bread and wine don't actually become the body. We know that. It's an illusion. But they were, they were onto something in those early times of saying, it's got to be more because the God is asking us, eat my body, drink my blood. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Not wanting to eat our flesh and drink our blood. Do you get it? Do you understand what it's... Understand what it's, what it's saying in all of that. And so, and so within that, we have this countercultural thing. So th- this is what I said. We are not just humans having a God experience. The Eucharist, the communion, tells us that in some mysterious way, we are God having a human experience. So it's one of the ways that God, through the bread and the wine as we partake of the body and blood of Christ, that he has our experience. He steps into our world. His presence becomes manifest because we're saying we accept the presence of the Christ within us and that as we eat the flesh and we drink the blood, we are saying the Christ in us is the hope of glory and that all things are ours. Right? All things. All things. Can I read you one scripture? Um, uh, you know, Chris has wound me up. She's wound me up in, in a very good way because, you know, kind of get things buzzing around, jumping around in your head. So, as we take the bread, let's listen to... Sorry, I'm, I want the notes. Listen to this scripture I've been wrestling with since this morning. It's what Paul wrote in Corinthians. Um... So then, no more boasting about men. Listen to this. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's the different viewpoints, or the world, the cosmos is yours, life is yours, death is yours, the present is yours, the future is yours, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. And he's saying, as we participate this, it all belongs to us. The whole thing is ours. You think, we have to live from that space. Right? Live from that space of being. So as we take it, we, what we are doing is we're taking the body of Christ. And we're taking the blood of Christ, knowing that as we do it, we participate in his because he's given himself and in doing that he he shows himself to be in us and part of us and in that space i believe you know the the ancient mystics the celts and all those people understood it in that space in that thin space in that sacred space there is room for miracle for change you know, for, for belonging, for all the things that we look for are in that space because all those things belong to us. So we're going to take it together. So in gratefulness and thankfulness for all that brought this to us, we eat the body of Christ.
And then in gratefulness and thankfulness, bringing right into this moment that very expression and that offer, we take the blood of Christ. So just take a moment in your own spirit, just, just take a moment to, to receive that on the inside. Let it be reality and truth deep down on the inside. John says, when you know the truth, the truth makes you free. It makes you free. The way I, I term that is, that so many people quote, when you know the truth, it sets you free. But that's not the Greek word, is make you free. I've explained it as this, it will forcibly impose freedom upon you. There's something about this encounter of the Christ with the body and with the blood that forcibly, forcibly imposes freedom upon us from the inside. And, you know, I know you guys are going through all manner of stuff, all manner of real stuff. But, but the whole issue of the Christ is that the real divine in real presence is really on the inside of us to really make a difference to the reality of the life that we are living. We've got to believe that and receive it. Just receive it. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for, for the, just the great stuff that's been put in us tonight. Help it to be, become part of our very being. And we thank you for the body and the blood of Christ. We thank you for transformation. We thank you for the whole miracle of transformation within resurrection. And we thank you again for the wonder that the mystery is not the virgin birth. It's not even the creation. It's not, it's not the crucifixion. It's not even the resurrection. But the great mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what we're wanting to grasp. Help us Help us to grasp this from the inside as we, as we assimilate this whole truth into our heart and spirit, knowing that we are one and that all things belong to us. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for these precious people. I just pray that you'll, you'll cause us to know how, how blessed we are and what it is that's in us so we can live out from that space in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Thanks, Chris, and thank you, everybody. I will see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash QChurchYork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.